Coming up next on Abounding Grace. I really feel that we need to have a consciousness of the presence of God with us at all times. That, that helps. I think it would alter our behavior if we only realized that the Lord was right there with us. We forget that, and then we go on on our day and go in on our, uh, the way that we want to handle things, and we forget the presence of God. But the Lord is there watching over us, and what he desires, he says, is truth in the inward parts. Who knows the inward parts? The Bible says we don't even know our own inward parts, according to Psalm 139. He says we should pray and ask God to reveal our hearts to us because he's the knower of the hearts. And when he does reveal to us what he does desire, he wants us to have a clean heart. He desires truth inwardly, not just fake outwardly. This is amazing grace. This is Is your desire to be used of God? Do you desire the fullness of God's victory in your life? It all starts with brokenness and a willingness to admit our sin. And today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will show us what brokenness looks like through King David's beautiful expression of remorse over his sin. This psalm was written in direct response to David's moral failure with Bathsheba. All of this is part of our ongoing study of 2 Samuel. You know, many people today try to explain away their sin, but God wants us to come clean and agree with Him. Here's Pastor Ed in Psalm 51 on Abounding Grace. Psalm 51. The title of our Bible study today is Conviction, Confession, and Forgiveness. We're working our way through 2 Samuel. We just finished chapters 11 and 12. And those chapters represent a very low time in David's life. This man that's described as a man after God's own heart becomes a man who served his own heart through adultery, manipulation, and murder. The man who once slayed giants was slain by his own giant. And yet God sends a friend into his life by the name of Nathan to tell him the truth and through the truth rescue him from ultimate disaster. Chapter 12 has Nathan arriving with a story of a little lamb. And the story so infuriated David of this little lamb being stolen by a rich guy that he pronounces the death sentence on the thief. That was neither the law of the land, neither was it the law of God for a thief. But we learned, didn't we, that David was pronouncing his own sentence upon them on that story thinking it was a real guy in his kingdom you see what David did was worthy of death and he lived with it day after day and week after week and month after month till finally about nine months later God releases him by giving him this little story and through the story and the furious response David says or Nathan says to David you are that man can you imagine the timing of all that? <laughs> letting it all take place, letting it all come out. And then Nathan looks him in the eye and goes, you're the man. It's stories about you, David. 
You see, David's response to Nathan's story provided just the right opening for the Holy Spirit to reveal David's guilt to him. That's the work of the Spirit, to bring conviction to our hearts. The Bible says that the work of the Spirit in the world today is to bring about conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And and you notice, uh, you're in Psalm 51. You don't need to turn back with me, but I'll read it to you as David is in this in this time of, of just really going through it, Nathan tells him in verse 12, he says, you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David, David is being told, Nathan says, you know, uh, in speaking forth for, the, for, for God, on behalf of God, what you thought you got away with, the consequences that you live with are gonna be public. It's gonna be a public humiliation in your life. Not, not God doing the humiliation, God's forgiving Sometimes we've, we, we've mixed that up where you think, wait a minute, what are you doing to me, God? Hey, God is forgiving. But the consequences of your sin, they get lived out. And the consequences of sin are one thing. The consequences of forgiven sin are another. The mistake is often made, well, you know what? I was, I'm forgiven. Perhaps I can avoid the consequences. And if God is gracious, perhaps you can. But many times, as David is told, you did it secretly. You thought you got away with it, but everything that's gonna happen to you It's going to be before the sun. Everyone's going to know about it. When Nathan says, David, you are the man, and and he began to explain it to him, David's response was in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. That's a beautiful, wonderful phrase of repentance. It doesn't tell us much, though. Uh, I think we could repeat that phrase many, many different times with a lot of different heart conditions. We can say it and not mean it. Uh, We can say it and pretend. We can say it and mean it, but then think we got away. I mean, there's a lot of ways, and there are just times in the scripture where you you look at a passage and you go, I wonder what he's really thinking. I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. There's not many times that we are given insight into what's happening behind the scenes. A lot of times we're given the text and the reality of the situation, and then we're given, we're given the direction by God, believe in faith, that David means it here. And, and if we didn't have any other part in Scripture, we would believe it. I would believe it. I believe the Scriptures. When David says he sinned, I believe him. I, I immediately believe a person that says they repentant and then wait for the fruit in their lives. I believe you. I believe you, David. However, with this, this small little phrase... God not only gives us the phrase, but he gives us the heart. And the heart is found in Psalm 51, if you want to turn there, if you're not already. The heart of these words, what does it look like to repent? What does it look like behind the scenes? What am I to look like, what am I to look for in my own life when I'm truly repentant? Psalm 51 gives us insights to what David felt when the revelation of his own sin was heavy upon him. We get to see and to feel and to hear a little deeper of just what's going on in the heart of David. It sums up the depth of his heart when he says, I have sinned. So notice with me in Psalm 51, verse 1. The Bible says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. 
David cries out for mercy because he's been found out. He doesn't cry out for judgment. He doesn't say, judge me, God, for I know what I've done. God put his finger on the sin of David's life, and the response was to have mercy. We don't cry out when we're busted, give me what I deserve. I hope you don't ask for that. We don't want what we deserve. We want grace and mercy. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is typical in the Psalms of Hebrew poetry where David uses three different words to describe sin. He uses the word transgression, iniquity, and sin. Now, David's not minimizing his sin. He's not trying to explain it away. He uses a word that speaks of rebellion against God. He he uses a word that speaks of rebellion against God and his covenant. A transgression is a deliberate, willful act of disobedience and rebellion. Until you realize this, you're just play-acting. Jot it down in Amos chapter 5, verse 12. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Transgression, it's a heavy word. Then he uses the word iniquity. This refers to his evil acts. It's a word in the Hebrew that describes a twisting and a perverting deliberately. The word carries the idea of guilt from conscious wrongdoing. Again, jot it down for reference in Genesis chapter 44, verse 16. Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants, and here we are, my Lord's slaves. And then finally, he uses the word sin, and that's a general word used in the Hebrew to describe it all. I've sinned. He's used the whole gamut to describe his sin, something he's lived with for months. And notice in verse 4, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. For those of you reading from a New King James, you'll notice that the, the word you is capitalized. And it's capitalized to bring about the intention to understand who he's talking to. As he writes his psalm, he's crying out to God and he says, to you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight so that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. It's interesting though, as you read the story, that It seems like David really sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah and against those that he brought into his scheme. And indeed, that's true, secondarily. His primary sin, which is every sin that we've ever committed and will ever commit, is against God and God alone. It gets played out in the life of other people, but our sin is against God. And when you and I fail to acknowledge our sin against God, then it reveals a part of us that is very distant in our relationship from God. If you think that the issue that you have is just with someone else, you're mistaken. Sin is against God, a holy and a righteous God. It may have its effect on others, but the evil has been done in your sight, O Lord. Hold me blameless. You know, when we confess our sins... We, we love the verse, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The idea behind the word confess means to say the same thing. When you, when you confess something, you say the same thing. And when you use it in the theological realm within the scriptures, you, when you confess your sin, you're confessing the same thing about your sin that God says. It's what he thinks. You're not just saying sins out of your lips but when you're admitting the sin in your life, you're agreeing with God and you're seeing it the way God sees it. That's true confession. When we confess our sins, when we repent from them, we're agreeing with God on his view of the sin in my life. 
When we confess our sins, it's no small thing. God hates sin. Why? Because of what it does to us. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba's defiled. David is weakened. And his family is severely wounded and will suffer the effects of his sin till the end of recorded history. Sin leaves nothing but problems and sorrows. What you think is simple gossip is absolute destruction, whether you see it now or not. It's a sin against a holy and a righteous God. What you see is stealing, you know, taking something that doesn't belong to you, small or big. It's no small thing. You say, well, I work hard for it. Nobody will ever know. Nobody gets hurt. Kind of our mantra in our society today, you know, I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt someone. Hey, listen, sin always hurts God. Always. And I believe there's so much sin rampant in our church today, in our church, not just the church capital C, but our church today, in our homes, in our families, because many in our church have forgotten that you're sinning against a holy and a righteous God, the one that sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins, the one that rescued you from a sinless, hopeless existence, well, a sinful, hopeless existence. Sure, we can blame it on the capital C church, but what about, the Bible says judgment begins in the house of the Lord with us, our lives. We've lost the fear of God. And oftentimes a really bad, difficult, horrible situation will bring back the fear of God in your life. You'll come to your senses like the prodigal son. I was just reading that this week where he finally came to his senses and he began to think, I gotta go back home to dad. He had this super revelation of the condition of his life was wrong against his dad. And his dad represents God the Father in that story. As we've all wandered away at times, some are backslidden even as I speak. And it may take some really horrible thing in your life to bring you back. It doesn't have to. You can come willingly. You don't have to come unwillingly. But it could be that the very situation that you're caught up in that you need to repent from will be the very thing that God restores a sense of holiness back into your life. A holy and a righteous God. Sin leaves nothing but problems. Yeah, it says in verse 5 that we were brought forth in iniquity. That, that, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can write next to it. That, that is a reference to original sin. And original sin is taught to us uh, from the scriptures that in Adam, we've all been born, Adam and Eve, after they fell and after they chose sin in the garden and they became sinful and tainted by sin. When they procreated, they could only create sinful kids. And then their kids created sinful kids. And their kids created sin. Sin is with us through Adam. And the Bible is true. We're all born in sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And David's acknowledging that. Man, I was brought forth in iniquity. This isn't any of the weird doctrines of sin in the womb. And we've dealt with that in other places. This is a reference to original sin. And he says in verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you'll make, me know to, you'll make me to know wisdom. You see, you can't hide sin from God. Nine months wasn't enough. He couldn't have gone a day farther. God exposed him, but he hid. He only, you know, the thing about hiding sin is you only hide it from other people for a time. Nothing's ever hidden before God. That, that should engender in us a sense of holy reverence for God. Like, I, we live our lives naked and open before our Creator, Every day of the week, we get away with nothing. There isn't anything in this room that any of us have ever gotten away with, ever, never. Even the, the things that might be in your life, right? you're not getting away with them. Everything's open before the Lord. David knew he had hidden it from other people, and he thought that nobody knew, 
But the revelation is, no, God, you know. He's just really realizing, man, you've known all along. I've done it in your sight. But he also did it in the sight of Joab. And he also did it in the sight of Bathsheba. I mean, there were people watching this whole scenario. We, we, aren't, we aren't getting away with anyway, anything. And I, I really feel that we need to have a consciousness of the presence of God with us at all times. That, that helps. I think it would alter our behavior if we only realized that the Lord was right there with us. We forget that, and then we go on on our day and go in on our, uh, the way that we want to handle things, and we forget the presence of God. But the Lord is there watching over us, and what he desires, he says, is truth in the inward parts. Who knows the inward parts? The Bible says we don't even know our own inward parts, according to Psalm 139. He says we should pray and ask God to reveal our hearts to us because he's the knower of the hearts. And when he does reveal to us what he does desire, he wants us to have a clean heart. He desires truth inwardly, not just fake outwardly. He wants our confession. He wants, he, when we seek to try to cover our sins, we only make them worse and dig the hole deeper and deeper. And it's not the outward show of righteousness that God wants. Remember when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees? He said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look so pretty on the outside. But what did he say? You're full of dead men's bones. How many times could that have been said of us in various times in our lives? I'm sure at least once or twice where we're so interested on the outward show and so not interested in what God's interested in, and that's the inward part of our hearts, just to be real. You know, they do surveys today, and they're saying today in the church, and the, they're, they're talking, they do these surveys all the time, but this one actually seems uh, to be pretty accurate in what I think has always been this way with the church, but they, they're, they're talking about the church and, and how you can serve the church and, and how you can be a better leader, and they say the people, what the people are looking for and what millennials are work, looking for today is authenticity. That's like the buzzword, authenticity. Just be real. And, and it's almost like they're training guys to be real, fake it, fake being real or something, you know? But let me tell you something. God has always wanted authenticity. It doesn't matter what people want. It doesn't matter what they put on the survey. It doesn't matter what, well, you know what I'm looking for in a church is authenticity. What you need to be looking for is what God wants in your life. It doesn't matter what you're looking for in a church. So I said, come in my way, let's survey. Well, I'd like somebody to be authentic. I hope so, because that's what God wants. He wants our realness and authenticity. He, he doesn't want us play acting. He wants us, us to be real because only God can deal with the real things. To, to be yourself in the Lord. To, to grow in grace. To submit yourself to his plan and his purposes. And when you do, what will you cry out for? Verse 7, purge me. For when I look at myself in the mirror, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We've learned before, isn't it interesting how how horrible our sin looks in someone else. And we see it in someone else and it's so quick and when in reality it's just a little mirror. And when you see yourself in the mirror and you just see yourself in the condition you are before the Lord, man, what do you cry out? Clean me, Lord. Purge me. Hyssop was this little branch that they would use to, to apply the blood, remember, on the doorsteps in Exodus. It, it was used to apply blood in the ceremony of cleansing the leper back in at Leviticus. Hyssop was also used to apply ashes to the red heifer and the holy water of cleansing in the priest. In Numbers chapter 19, the hyssop branch was an agent of cleansing. Purge me and cleanse me. Cleanse me with the, with the blood that would have the death, the angel of death pass over. Cleanse me with the blood that would have me uh, be 
clean from my disease. Purge me, purge me with the blood that would cleanse me that I might serve you again. Purge me that I might be clean and wash me, verse seven, and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness and that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face, verse eight, from my sins. Verse nine, blot out all my iniquities. And that's true. That's one of the first things you want to hear uh, when you have come clean with some serious thing is I just want to hear joy and gladness again. It's been a while. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all fake when you're hiding sin. You could be, have your hands raised. You could sing along with Pastor Ian, and, but it's not real. It isn't true, genuine, abiding joy of the Spirit because there's this constant battle. If you even make it that far, to raise your hands and start to sing the songs, there's that constant battle. Hey, how can you sing? Your life's not right. And you're like, you're right, but I want to be right, but I don't want to confess. And if I tell them, then they'll find out. And if I don't, and and you're just so much in turmoil that there's no joy or gladness in your life. The consequences of hidden sin and whatever happiness, whatever smiles you might enjoy aren't really the true joy of the Lord. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is what? Your strength. But in sin, there's no strength. In sin, there's no joy. What does he say in verse 10? Create in me a clean heart, O God. How many of us have prayed that? This has been put to music. We've sung this. It's burned into our hearts. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David didn't lose his salvation through this. Don't think of it that way. Remember, the, David's writing under the old covenant, under the blood covenant of the sacrifice. He's writing in a way that, to remind himself of he's been broken. He's been broken from fellowship because of his sin. And when he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, he's not speaking like we have today of the abiding presence, but of the benefits. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came and went. But for you and I, when we say, hey, don't take the Holy Spirit from me, we're not afraid that the Spirit of God will just desert us, but we would cry out today in our, in our time, in the age of grace, man, don't take the benefits of your Holy Spirit from me. I want to enjoy the fruit of your Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want that in my life, Lord. Restore the work of your Spirit in my life. Restore it. I don't want to grieve your Spirit. I don't want to... Quench your spirit. His life was miserable inside, even though outside no one could see it. If today you'd say that your joy is gone, there could very well be a deep-seated sin that you're not dealing with. Seek the Lord and ask the Father to search out your heart and restore to you. Notice, we, we often will misquote verse 12 where he cries out and he says, restore to me the joy. And you might want to mark this because we, we I, I know I've made this mistake. You may not, but I've made this mistake. I'll often quote this verse, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because that's what I want. I want the joy of my salvation. But that's not what David said. This isn't about David. You know, when a, crew, a true broken person isn't talking about themselves, they're talking about the Lord. They're talking about the benefits of God. They realize it's not them at all. Well, it's all them, it's all us that's got us in trouble. But so he, what does he say? He doesn't say my salvation. He says what? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's what we're praying for. It's a very important distinction. We've been looking at Psalm 51 today on Abounding Grace, a complimentary passage to 2 Samuel 12. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is in a series based in 2 Samuel. You can go online to hear today's message again. Visit calvaryaurora.org or purchase a CD copy for just $2 by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Just think what would happen if we prayed how Jesus taught us to. No doubt we'd be more bold and persistent. This month, we're pleased to offer you an excellent book written by Manny Mill called Radical Prayer. In it, you'll get a glimpse at the power of prayer according to God's will. And I think you'll be left encouraged to pray more expectantly with persistence and boldness. We'll send this to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more. Here at Abounding Grace, we're thankful to the Lord for the opportunity to share the word all over the country. But we can't do it without the support of our listeners. If you'd like to stand with us, please call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. We'll take another look into Psalm 51 tomorrow on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor continues pointing out what conviction, confession, and forgiveness look like. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel Aurora.